chapter fourteen of herb of grace this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c herb of grace by rosa nuchet carey chapter fourteen you do say such odd things womanhood should be the consecration of earth u a taylor in the region of domestic affections a new and ennobling motive came from bethlehem that i may please god knox little elizabeth put on an air of great severity as she regarded the culprit rotherwood is about a mile and a quarter from our gate she observed apostrophizing some midges that were dancing in a sunbeam overhead you could walk there easily in twenty minutes it is now one o'clock and you have been away exactly three hours and a half and here she consulted the miniature watch that she wore as an ornament as well as for utility if it be not impertinent may we inquire why you have absented yourself the whole morning oh shut up bet returned her brother impatiently sarcasm is not your style at all it is like killing a grasshopper with a pair of iron-heeled clogs it is precious heavy i can tell you you rude unmannerly boy and here elizabeth attempted to pull his hair but she might as well have tried her prentice hand on a young convict freshly shorn by the prison barber hands off betty i tell you returned the graceless lad i have had rather a good time of it i knew herrick was getting pretty sick of me here cedric rolled over on his back and tilted his straw hat over his eyes familiarity breeds contempt and all that sort of thing conversation is like a salad isn't it herrick you may have plenty of green stuff and oil but it wants pepper and a dash of vinegar too why don't you box his ears miss pempleton he is getting positively abusive i prefer pepper to oil she returned calmly well cedric perhaps you will kindly inform me if your mission has been successful oh it is all right david will be here to tea but he says it will not be cool enough to play until nearly five now don't go tugging at my coat collar or i won't say another word elizabeth with a resigned expression folded up her work i left the vicarage note continued cedric mollified by this submission mr charrington was engaged but mrs finch brought me his message his kind regards to miss templeton and he would have much pleasure in dining at the woodhouse to-night did you tell diana do i not always do my duty rather sententiously well before i could get to the white cottage i met old david he was going to the church to practice on the organ and he was a bit bothered 
because he could not get anyone to blow so being a good-natured chap i volunteered good boy observed elizabeth softly well there we were for pretty nearly an hour and a half david perched up like a glorified cherubim and rolling out music by the yard and there was i grinding away like a saintly nigger in a beastly hole till i could stand it no longer and told him i must chuck it he declared he had quite forgotten me i expect he had mr carillon plays the organ so beautifully elizabeth was addressing malcolm now my sister and i often go to church to listen to him it must be a great resource he returned regretfully and i am inclined to envy carillon i am passionately fond of music myself but the power of expression has been denied me i would back david against most organists went on cedric well as i was pretty much used up by my exertions he proposed we should go into the vicarage garden and help ourselves to fruit the green gauges were ripe and so were the mulberries and you bet i did not need pressing mrs finch saw us from the porch room and sent out some cider and homemade cake so we had a rattling good feed david said he was in a loafing mood and would not hear of my hurrying away mr carillon does not seem overworked remarked malcolm but he regretted his speech when he saw elizabeth's heightened color thursday is a slack day with him she said rather gravely i assure you he works harder than most clergymen and is very conscientious and painstaking he is not at all strong but he never spares himself my hasty speech meant nothing returned malcolm smiling mr carillon is certainly no loafer he looks the incarnation of energy how doth the little busy dee improve each shining hour chanted cedric but elizabeth would stand no more nonsense she called to the dogs and warned their guests that the gong would sound in five minutes and then marched off with her sailor hat slung on her arm which she filled on her way to the house with canterbury bells and blue larkspur the game of tennis was a great success diana sat in the shade and watched them there was some little difficulty in choosing partners so cedric said they must toss up for it and elizabeth fell to mr carrion if malcolm felt secretly disappointed no one guessed it to his surprise he and cedric were ruthlessly beaten mr carrion played a masterly game and elizabeth ably seconded him malcolm who had always held his own on the tennis green and was an excellent golf player was much chagrined at his defeat they had lost three successive games when cedric flung up his racket and declared he could play no more they have given us a regular beating mate he said cheerfully you were in capital form herrick and i did not do so badly myself 
though I say it as shouldn't. But David has taken the shine out of us. I say, old fellow, you ought to be champion player. I think Miss Templeton played a good game, returned David modestly, and then he and Cedric went off to hunt for missing balls, and Elizabeth sauntered to the house. Half an hour later she was just putting the finishing touches to her dress when Diana tapped at the door, and, as Elizabeth gave her a welcoming smile, sat down by the toilet table. It was one of Diana's homely, pleasant little ways, but these few minutes of sisterly chat would have been sorely missed by both of them. "'How nice you look, dear,' in an admiring voice. Then Elizabeth glanced at herself with her head a little on one side. "'Do I?' she said simply. "'I was afraid I should never regain my normal color. Are you sure I don't look rather blowsy and like a milkmaid?' But Diana indignantly repudiated this. It was Diana's private belief that Elizabeth was a very beautiful woman. She has such lovely eyes, and then her face has so much expression, she would say. But Diana had the good sense to keep this opinion to herself. Elizabeth, who was not at all in vain, and was quite conscious of her own defects, continued to gaze at her own reflection rather critically i suppose on the whole i am passable di she said rather philosophically when people like me they seem to like my looks and really when you think of all the plain and downright ugly people in the world there is surely room for thankfulness have you found that out betty my dear di I am rather in a humble frame of mind just now. Don't you recollect my telling you Mrs. Robinson's speech last Monday? I have never thought quite so much of myself since. If I remember rightly, Mrs. Robinson paid you a compliment. She told Miss Clarkson that she wished Selina were as fine a woman as Elizabeth Templeton. And you call that a compliment? and Elizabeth arched her long, full throat in a rather a haughty and swan-like manner. Fancy that goose of Miss Clarkson repeating such a speech. A fine woman is my abhorrence. It always seems to me to rank in the same category with a prime turkey or a prize bullock, or something ready for the market. My dear Betty, you do say such odd things. Of course I do. Elizabeth is nothing if she is not original. Don't you remember dear old Dad's speech? But I am really serious, Di. You know I never coveted beauty. No, nor I, dear. And Diana spoke quite earnestly. Oh, you, returned Elizabeth with playful tenderness. I should hope not. I expect many women would be glad. To change with you you sweet thing then diana smiled and patted her sister's hand no betty you must not say that i have often thought that even our poor faces with all their defects ought to be sacred to us if we are a thought of god 
as some one has beautifully put it surely the stamp of his handiwork must be precious to us but how about the marred and ugly faces die and elizabeth looked at her dubiously it is their cross returned diana simply a heavy cross perhaps but when i see a very plain unattractive woman i do so long to whisper in her ear don't trouble about it poor thing what does it matter you will be beautiful one day and even now if you are good and patient the angels will think you lovely dear me betty interrupting herself why are you creasing my pretty silk dress lord love you miss i am only a feeling for your wings returned elizabeth in a droll voice and then they both laughed for this was a standing joke between them ever since diana had repeated poor old becky brent's speech when the wrinkled hand of the blind and doited old creature had fumbled about her shapely shoulders diana had been right in thinking that the vicar and mr herrick would have much in common and the conversation at the dinner-table that evening was unusually animated she and elizabeth were attentive listeners and on comparing notes afterwards both of them owned that they had been struck with mr herrick's intelligence and broad-minded views the slight egotism that elizabeth had detected seemed to drop from him like a veil and he showed his true nature he was evidently a patient and reverent searcher after knowledge and his marked deference to the elder scholar became him greatly diana quite glowed with innocent pleasure as she listened to them it is so seldom the dear vicar gets any one to talk on his favorite subjects but one could see that mr herrick is after his own heart she remarked as they sat on the terrace drinking their coffee and waiting for the gentleman to join them he is certainly very clever observed elizabeth thoughtfully david was unusually quiet went on diana but her sister apparently did not hear this for she went on talking about the advantage of a more varied reading i am such an ignoramus she continued when those men were talking about the m s s in the old unknown monastery i felt like a little google-eyed charity school girl when i get mr herrick alone i mean to ask him about the behistun inscription and then mr carillon strolled towards them followed by cedric and elizabeth who had finished her coffee advanced towards them they are still at it tooth and nail observed david in an amused tone i should have stopped to listen to them only this fellow was so sick of the discussion what a well-informed chap herrick is so diana and i were saying remarked elizabeth as they paced slowly down the terrace why were you so silent she continued you know a good deal about these subjects too who i my dear miss elizabeth you are quite mistaken 
ask the vicar and he will tell you that i am really a duffer in these matters it is a wise child who knows his own father and i am wise enough to know my own ignorance don't you know with a smile it is easier to hold one's tongue and listen in an intelligent manner than flounder about out of one's depth among the billows of cuneiform inscriptions and the insurmountable precipice of the bastoon rock why do you undervalue yourself so returned elizabeth gently don't you know people take us at our own value i have got it into my head that you and mr herrick do not quite take to each other women's eyes are rather sharp you know but mr carrion turned this off with a laugh oh we hit it off all right he replied please don't go and take fancies in your head he has his innings now but we got the best of him this afternoon elizabeth's merry answering laugh reached malcolm's ears and made him lose the drift of the vicar's argument but he lost it still more and became increasingly absent-minded when a few minutes later he heard her rich full tones in his favorite song loving yet leaving mr charrington noticed it at last the siren is too much for you mr herrick he said pleasantly we will resume our discussion another time and to this malcolm cheerfully assented did elizabeth perceive the dark figure that glided in at the open window and settled itself so comfortably in the easy chair if she were conscious of the silent auditor she made no sign neither had her voice been sweeter and truer neither had she sung with such bird-like clearness with such abandon and pleasure now and then a whispered word from david made her exchange one song for another or a low-toned bravo from the same source greeted some special favorite elizabeth was in the mood for singing she was a creature of moods and tenses and would probably have gone on caroling blissfully for another hour if the vicar had not interrupted them it is getting late carillon and we may as well walk back together he remarked in a leisurely manner for being an old bachelor he was rather precise in his ways david jumped up at once i will go with you sir of course he replied quickly then in a lower voice it is a lovely evening will you do your lady's smile he spoke so low that malcolm could only guess at what he said but elizabeth's answer was quite clear and audible no not to-night i think i have exerted myself sufficiently but i dare say mr herrick and cedric will go and malcolm who felt himself dismissed and had no excuse to offer was soon plunged into an argument again that lasted all the way to rotherwood betty did you notice that mr herrick did not want to go asked diana who was always keenly alive to the likes and dislikes of her neighbors it was naughty of you to put him in such a position 
how could he refuse to go when the vicar was waiting for him i thought a walk would do him good returned elizabeth demurely he was almost asleep when mr charrington spoke to us a comfortable chair and moonlight and a german lullaby are sophoric influences nonsense betty replied diana in her practical downright way he was as wide awake as i was but with a little sigh of sympathy he looked rather sad are you sure he is quite happy dear i expect he is quite as happy as he deserves to be returned elizabeth in a rather hard-hearted way and then she went off singing to herself in a low tone a line or two from her last song it may be in the land above the land beyond our ken yet we shall meet again my love though none can answer when and as diana stood listening in the moonlight her face looked like the face of a radiant infant that is so true she whispered and what does it matter when end of chapter fourteen recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c